welcome back. Last week was so much fun, and if I'm being completely transparent, a relief. Having my husband on with me was such a comforting feeling, and he's a big part in the strength it takes week in and week out to share the depths of my heart with you all. Just hearing his words stating, Emily, you're not doing this for the likes. You're doing it to help people. You're not going to appeal to everyone, and your message may even upset some people. But just keep going and stay true to the mission that's been laid on your heart. As a recovering perfectionist and people pleaser, I need these words, and I need to be reminded of them often. So I'm taking a moment to express gratitude for the man who still makes my heart flutter after all these years. I want to share some really exciting news with y'all. Over the last couple of weeks, five people have reached out to me to let me know that they're starting their own alcohol-free journey. This is more than I could ever hope for. Seeing people take action in their lives and getting the gift to play a small role in their journey is more than I could even hope for. This episode is dedicated to them. Before you forget, make sure you hit that follow button on your preferred listening platform. This ensures you don't miss an upcoming episode, and I really appreciate the support. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast and finding value, please leave me a detailed review. It will help increase awareness and get the show in front of more people. All right, with that being said, grab a big glass of tea, make it extra sweet, and let's jump into today's show. You're listening to Southern, Social, and Still Sober, and I'm your host, Emily Chandler. A couple of episodes ago, I began to describe my dad's pride of not being grouped in with those people when he referred to anyone who was dubbed an alcoholic or attended a 12-step meeting. I think it's only necessary to take the next step to go further in depth why it's crucial we end the stigma surrounding addiction. About three weeks before my father passed away, I was headed home from Nashville, where I lived at the time, to visit my parents. Alex and I were headed to a friend's wedding in Birmingham, so the plan was to go stay with my dad because at this time my parents had divorced, so my mom was just going to come stay and visit while we were in town. We were excited to see my family and even more excited that they were going to be able to spend some time with our daughter, who was just shy of turning a year old. I had called my dad the day before heading out of town to return his call to say hi and confirm a couple of details. He had left me a voicemail asking if he needed to pick up diapers or anything specific for Scarlett. Y'all, he was so excited to get to love on her and spend time with her. I actually still have the phone and SIM card in which he left that voicemail, and I still haven't mustered up the strength to listen to it again. But I keep that phone because that's the last recorded audio I have of him. When we got into town, it was late. He was still up waiting for us, and my mom had come by to wait with him. The lights were dim in the house, and it was camouflaging something I wouldn't discover until in the morning. We all sat down together, and as expected, my parents were loving all over our baby girl. My parents were getting along, and that night was really precious. My mom did notice some pretty severe swelling in my dad's legs, and I noticed it too. He brushed it off and took a fluid pill like my mom had recommended to help reduce the swelling. My dad seemed fine that night. He was in good spirits, and nothing seemed too out of the ordinary. I knew that he was drinking alone, and so I was relieved to see he was doing okay when we got there. That night, as we all went to sleep, my dad started to drink again. He didn't want to worry me, so he always did it in private. 
I had no idea what was coming in the morning, but that was the last night he ever had a drink. When I woke up and headed downstairs to see my dad, he was in the living room. He looked like he hadn't slept any. When I looked at him and his eyes met mine, my heart sank and I screamed out for my mom. My dad's eyes were as yellow as the skin on a ripe banana. I was terrified and my mom rushed into the living room because she had slept over in the guest bedroom. She began to assess him and realized with horror, my father was jaundiced. You may have heard of jaundice in babies. This was my first time ever seeing it in an adult. The yellowing of the skin and eyes as a result of being jaundiced is an indication that the liver is shutting down and not operating like it should. My mom said she was going to take him to the hospital. He was stubborn and said, I'm fine. Nothing's wrong. It's not that bad. She refused to listen to him and we basically forced him into the car to drive him to the hospital. I watched them as they drove away and had no idea that was going to be the last time we were all together outside of the hospital walls. When I finally heard from my mom, she had let me know he had been admitted and he was in good spirits and letting the doctors and nurses check him out and see what was going on. The sense of urgency had left her voice, so it seemed like the medical staff put her at ease. At this point, and with what we were hearing, is yes, this is serious, but nothing he can't pull back from. My mother and dad insisted Alex and I go to our friend's wedding that night, so very hesitantly we agreed, and my mom watched Scarlet so we could go see our friends on their big day. I still remember feeling all out of sorts that night. I remember hating myself for drinking a glass of wine and then even more wine throughout the night, but it was the only thing that got my mind off what was happening with my dad. My friend's wedding was such a joyous celebration and so beautiful, and as much as I was thrilled to see how happy they were, I was torn up on the inside and barely keeping it together. I still remember when my friend got up to dance with her father for her special dance, As soon as I heard their song come on, I felt nauseated and excused myself to the bathroom. I closed the stall door behind me and let the floodgates open. I bawled like a baby all while I could hear the faint melody of the beautiful father-daughter song play. When I finally cleaned my face and regained my composure, I rejoined Alex and all my friends. Alex grabbed me around the waist and he pulled me close to him. And without even saying a word, he comforted me like no one else could. The next two weeks were a roller coaster of emotions as one could imagine. We kept getting a different prognosis. One day, it was, he's going to be okay. He just can't drink again. Another? A much more serious one. When I spoke with his doctors and nurses, one thing they kept reiterating was he can't keep drinking and then stopping and then drinking again. This was news to me. I had no idea my dad was attempting to stop on his own. According to the doctors, his vitals and organs showed multiple relapses. They said he would have been better off just to keep drinking every day as opposed to the pattern he kept finding himself in. He'd probably be in a better position and would live longer. Those words still linger with me today. First, I had no idea he'd been recently trying to stop on his own. And second, the fact that they said he would have been better off just to keep drinking still blows my mind but it all started to make so much more sense as I found myself four years later experiencing some of the same withdrawal symptoms I had seen from my dad over the last couple of years of his life. Since I had lived out of state, 
I'd only see my dad once or twice every few months. We'd talk every day on the phone, but I just wouldn't see him physically as much as I would have liked. When I would see him, he'd be shaky and sweaty. If you remember a couple of episodes ago, I described my withdrawal symptoms. It all makes so much more sense now. He was experiencing withdrawal symptoms right before my very eyes, and I had no clue. In those last couple of years when his drinking problem had become glaringly obvious and we pleaded with him to stop, he just started hiding it. I didn't see my dad take a single drink in front of me in his last couple of years. It was all behind closed doors and mainly in the middle of the night when he couldn't sleep. Those times when I would see him, he wasn't drinking and his body was going into shock. He'd then get home and be right back at it. All those stopping and then starting again wore his body out, and his heart and liver had had enough. In the last couple of days before he slipped into a coma, he was lucid and we'd laugh and enjoy each other's company. I remember telling him how he needed a change of scenery and I wanted him to come live with me and Alex. I wanted to help him. He looked at me square in the eye and said, Emily, you are too young. You and Alex are too young to have to look after me. I'm not doing it. I want you to go live your lives and enjoy it. I started to argue with him, and he quietly grabbed my hand and said, Emily, I'm not going. I love you and Alex and want the best for you, and that's why I'm not going. The next day, I got word from some of my family members who were in and out of the hospital visiting him. He started telling them he was seeing people who had already passed on one being his nephew who had recently passed away from cancer at a very young age. He said he saw him and he was doing well. I know the majority of you listening don't know my father, but that did not sound like my dad. He was a believer and that gives me comfort, but he didn't talk much about the afterlife and he was the very logical type, the very matter-of-fact type. But I fully believe he saw his nephew, that he so deeply loved, and it was like he was waving him home. That night, he slipped into a coma and just a few days later passed away with family standing close by, surrounded with love. Just hours before he passed, I asked to be alone with him. And as you have all heard, I'm a people pleaser and I hate rocking the boat. I was nervous to ask so many people to leave the room, but I'm so proud of myself that I did it and will cherish those 45 minutes with my dad for the rest of my life. I grabbed his hand and sung his favorite hymns and worship songs. He had asked me years ago to sing Amazing Grace at his father's funeral. I just couldn't do it. I was too shy. So I took that time to sing it quietly to him. I like to think as he was being welcomed into heaven by all those that he loved so dearly, he got to hear his favorite hymn as he passed over and finally got the peace he was so desperately longing for. It's been eight years since he passed away. His death will not be in vain. He was an incredible man that impacted so many people's lives. He was a good man that fell victim to something that so many other good people also struggle with. This is my attempt to bring awareness and break the stigma accompanied with addiction that's gone on for far too long. You're listening to Southern, Social, and Still Sober, and I'm your host, Emily Chandler. In those first months of my walk in sobriety and opening up to select people about my choice to stop drinking, 
the majority greeted me with a, good for you, Emily, and that's about it. Like my husband said in last week's episode, I made more of a big deal about it than others. Then there were a few that said something along the lines of, but you don't look like you have a problem with alcohol. I've seen you. You just have fun. Emily, what are you trying to say here? You're not an alcoholic. I found myself literally having to plead my case with some people, which seems so bizarre to me now. It reinforces to me that we have a long way to go with education and awareness surrounding addiction. You got to hear in the first part of this episode me describe how sick my dad was due to the progression of his addiction to alcohol. He was literally yellow and his organs were shutting down, but he still couldn't say he had a problem. His pride, coupled with the burdening stigma of alcoholism, led to his demise. When we deem certain labels, such as alcoholic, as bad, it draws unnecessary boundaries that become more hurtful than helpful. I think that's why most medical and psychology professionals have dropped using the word alcoholic and have started to refer to it as alcohol use disorder. Whatever the case, the definition remains the same, and I want to explore more of that with you. According to an article by Medical News Today, Alcoholism, now known as alcohol use disorder, is a condition in which a person has a desire or physical need to consume alcohol, even though it has a negative impact on their life. I mean, guys, (laughs) it's hard to deny. Um, That definition right there, I can relate to. Let's look at another one. According to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, Alcoholism is defined as continued, excessive, or compulsive use of alcoholic drinks. Again, that one's hard to deny. And lastly, Mayo Clinic describes alcoholism as follows. Alcohol use disorder, which includes a level that's sometimes called alcoholism, is a pattern of alcohol use that involves problems controlling your drinking, being preoccupied with alcohol, continuing to use alcohol, even when it causes problems, having to drink more to get the same effect, or having withdrawal symptoms when you rapidly decrease or stop drinking. All you have to do is go back through the last few episodes and you can see as I describe what I went through, those definitions relate so much to me, especially that very detailed one at the Mayo Clinic. You know, I didn't hear in any of those widely accepted definitions of alcoholism or now known as alcohol use disorder, the way someone looks or their demographics or socioeconomic factors, success levels, financial situations, or whether the person suffering with the disorder has dirty clothes on or freshly clean clothes and all put together, or whether it was wine in a fancy glass or a bottle of cheap liquor drank out of a paper bag. You get the point here. It doesn't have a look. There's no such thing. A problem with a substance does not discriminate, and it affects people from all walks of life. And contrary to popular belief, I'm finding you are not immune from developing it. If you consume an addictive substance, you are at risk of developing a dependency. It's like playing with fire. There are warning signs on fireworks to use at your own risk, just like the alcohol industry's standard message of Drink responsibly. 
Before I wrap this episode up, let's cover these 10 warning signs that you're an alcoholic that I found on Recovery Village's website reviewed by a panel of medical professionals and last updated of January of this year. The following are 10 warning signs of alcoholism that might help you answer the question, am I an alcoholic? I'm personally going to go through this by putting myself back to early 2018 when I was really struggling, and I'm going to answer those questions as I would back then. One, drinking alone and in secrecy. Check. Two, losing interest in other activities you once found enjoyable. Check. Three, alcohol cravings. Check. Four, making drinking a priority over responsibilities. Check. Five, alcohol withdrawal symptoms. Check. Six, extreme mood swings and irritability. Check. Seven, feelings of guilt associated with drinking. Check, check. Eight, having a drink first thing in the morning. I'm going to give this one a half a check because it wasn't every morning, but man, would I have wanted one. Nine, continuing to drink despite health, financial, and family problems. If you remember back to episode three, that's when I told you guys more about the binging and purging. I would consider that a major health problem. And uh, so I say check to number nine. 10, an inability to stop or control the amount of alcohol consumed. Check. So nine and a half checks in, I'd say I fit the bill. Had I listened to those few people, I may have convinced myself otherwise and kept drinking because that would have been the path of least resistance. You're listening to Southern, Social, and Still Sober, and I'm your host, Emily Chandler. Y'all, when I was at my highest levels of drinking and starting to get scared with how I was feeling and acting, I was still taking care of myself. I showered regularly. My house was clean. I was still hitting my business goals. My relationship with Alex was fine. My relationships with most of my friends, minus the few that were done with my wild nights out, were fine. I looked good on social media, posted inspirational quotes, My belief in my creator and relationship with him was still going strong. There were no DUIs. There were no run-in with the cops. My bills were paid, and I lived a comfy lifestyle financially. But I still check those boxes. Do you see where I'm going with this? I'm a former beauty pageant winner, well-spoken, highly educated, white woman from a family that love and support me, and I still became plagued by an addiction to alcohol. We've got to open our eyes and look around us. Addiction affects every family in some form or fashion. Open your heart to accepting the world isn't as it always appears. Being able to openly talk about our struggles is a must if we want to live in a world with less unplanned funerals. I'm going to flip my long blonde hair, say, hey y'all, I'm a recovering perfectionist and alcoholic, all while I smile and hold my head up confidently because I'm so dang proud of myself for winning this battle. It's a part of my story, and I will openly talk about it without a thought to how I'm going to be perceived because I'm over this inaccurate portrayal of those who find themselves in addiction. 
we cannot heal from the things we hide in the dark. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I hope you found value from this episode and I hope you'll be back for next week. Please share this with your friends and loved ones and anyone that you think could be comforted by my story. Please subscribe and take a minute to review this podcast. It helps me so much and will help me spread the word. You can find a transcribed version of every episode on my website at Southern, Social, and StillSober.com and more info in the show notes along with the show's contact info. I'd love for you to submit feedback, make comments, ask questions, submit suggestions, or even just to say hi and connect. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart. Looking forward to next week. Until then, cheers y'all.